As you can tell, our topic for the morning is living on a promise. I keep wanting to say living on a prayer, but uh, it's living on a promise, and it's picked up from the lectionary passage for this second Sunday in Lent from the Old Testament, the 15th chapter of Genesis, where we learn about Abram and a covenant that God makes with him. I'll read the first verses 1 through 12 of chapter 15, and then verses 17 and 18. I invite you to listen for the word of God. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and count the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, for how, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought him all these and cut them in two, laying each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when, the, and when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him. And then in verse 17, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. And then writing, gosh, what, several thousand years later, thousand at least, the writer of Hebrews picks up on this story of Abraham in the sixth chapter. We'll be reading verses 13 through 20. When God made a promise to Abraham because he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently endured, attained the promise. Human beings, of course, swear by someone greater than themselves, and an oath given as confirmation puts an end to all dispute. In the same way, when God desired to show even more clearly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his promise, he guaranteed it by an oath so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible that God should prove false, we who have taken refuge might be strongly encouraged to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters the inner shrine behind the curtain, where Jesus, a forerunner on our behalf, has entered, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Friends, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. Let us pray. 
O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, you who are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Anybody here ever made a promise to someone? Sure. Anybody remember when someone wanted to tell you something, but you were sworn to secrecy? So you use the words, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Anybody remember that? Well, this, of course, denoted the seriousness by which you were promising to keep their secret. Well, what you may not realize is that this little saying comes from a longer poem, a couple of versions found, and I thought I'd share them with you. Cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Wait a minute, I spoke a lie. I don't really want to die. Though my lips are sealed and the promise is true, I won't break my word to you. But if by chance I should somehow slip, accidental words tumbling from my lips, if this solemn vow I should break, then no more breaths shall I take. Thus you know this promise is not a lie, for I am not prepared to die. Promises, promises, important parts of our lives. Thomas Long, formerly professor down the road at Princeton Seminary and now on the professor at Candler School of Theology at Emory in Atlanta, shares this story which occurred when he was a, a student at a small denominational college in South Carolina. He shares that it was the custom each year to have a, a visiting professor, a visiting theologian, to deliver a series of lectures over the course of several evenings. This visiting lecturer also led morning chapel each day, where, unlike the evening lectures, attendance was required. So attendance was required at the morning chapels, but not the evening lectures. Well, as you might suspect, as these types of events go, the Monday morning chapel service was probably the most important one of the week, for in it the, pres the, the professor had, what, oh, 15 or 20 minutes to be interesting enough to make the students want to come back for the evening lectures, which long <laughs> report seldom happened. Well, one year on a, on, on, at, the, at the Monday morning chapel, the visiting professor, after reading scripture from the Bible, closed it and heaved it out the open window, which was about 15 yards from the pulpit. Perfect shot, right out the open window. That's what I think of your Bible, he said. Well, that night, the exception occurred as there was a, a good crowd at the opening lecture, which happened to be about forgiveness. Following the lecture, one of the students stood up and asked, how do I know that I am forgiven? The professor looked at him and after a long pause said, I promise you, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Yeah, but how do I know I am forgiven? Another pause. I promise you, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Yeah, I know you say that, but truly, how do I know deep down inside that I am forgiven? An even longer pause. I promise you, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. All this visiting theologian would offer is a promise. A promise. Can you live on a promise? 
By the time we reach our passage in the 15th chapter of Genesis, God has, Abram has answered God's call to leave his home and his kindred to go to a land that God would show him. Furthermore, Abram by this time has been promised by God, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Only there is a problem. It's mentioned in our text, and it's a major one. Abraham, Abram has no son, and time is getting on, and how in the world can you become a great nation without a son? Oh, Lord, God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. God has made Abram a promise, but Abram is also aware of the reality of his situation, and he doesn't know whether he can take this God at God's word. He knows he's not getting any younger, and Sarah is way past childbearing years. Oh, Lord, how do I know your promise is for real? How can you believe a promise when reality suggests otherwise? Abraham wants more than reassurance. Abraham wants some proof. Oh, Lord, how do, how do I know that your promise is for real? You know, wouldn't it be great to have some proof that God's promises of a new heaven and a new earth are secure, especially given the reality of natural disasters and pollution and dwindling resources in our world? Wouldn't it be great to have some proof that God's promise of the gentle inheriting the earth was secure, especially given the reality of terrorism and oppression and poverty? We've seen it this week. Wouldn't it be great to have some proof that God's promise that the first will be last and the last will be first was secure, especially given the reality of injustice, the, the disparity of, in the proportionate sharing of wealth and resources throughout the globe? Wouldn't it be great to have some proof that if you lived a good life, if you tried to do the right thing, if you were honest and kind and good, that you would be happy? Wouldn't it be great to have some proof that God's promise of wholeness, of life abundant, was actually a possibility. That's all Abram, in his old age, doubtful, fearing, wondering if, he, wondering if he has made the right decision in following after this God. That's all Abram wants. Some proof in the midst of this reality. Is that so much to ask? Oh, Lord God, how do I know your promise is for real? So what does God do? How does God respond to this request? Our text tells us, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, Your own son, your very own son, shall be your heir. <laughs> Can you believe it? God answers Abram's desire for proof with yet another promise. Your own son shall be your heir. A promise this time accompanied by a sign. Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. So shall your descendants be. God answers Abram with yet another promise. But this time notice Abram's response. You notice it? And Abram believed the Lord. And Abra, Abram believed the promise of God. Why? Why did Abram believe God's promise this time? Well, while he questioned it in verse 2. The promise of God is the same. You shall have a son. What happened that produced a change in Abram's state of mind? Well, while Abram isn't given proof of the veracity of the promise, Abram is, in a sense, a partner 
to a revelation. Abram is given a vision prompted by gazing at the immensity and majesty of, a, of the heavens. That certainty, that promise is based not on human perception, but on an awareness as, of God as God. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann, the one that we're studying the book from on our Tuesday study, notes only the new awareness that God really is God provides ground for Abraham's safe future. Abram repents. His orientation turns around. Abram, in the words of Brueggemann, abandons a reality, a reading of reality which is measured by what he can see and touch and manage. Abram knew that he was old. Abraham, Abram knew that Sarah was old. Abram knew that they had been trying to have children for years. Abraham knew it was practically hopeless. Abram knew the reality of his situation. He was living it. He could see himself aging. He could see his wife's frailty. He knew the reality, and yet he still believed. The faith of Abraham was not in anything he saw in this world. His faith was in the one he perceived could overcome the barrenness. Friends, when we make our reality only what we can see and touch and manage, only what we can control, we don't allow the possibility of God to be God in our lives. Back in December, about a, about a month after I had finished the intense six months of chemotherapy, I think I can tell this without getting emotional, we were down actually in North Carolina visiting family, and, and I was outside one evening in western North Carolina. The mountains there are gorgeous, as you know. It was a beautiful evening, and, and I remember having something of an internal conversation with God. And it went something like this. God, this is an incredibly beautiful world which you have created and which I have had the good fortune of living in for 62 years. And though I am prepared for and will accept whatever the future holds, whether that future be another 30 years or another couple of years, I surely would love to continue enjoying this beautiful natural world I am now looking at, along with, which, along with my family with which I have been blessed. And it was, it was a cathartic moment that evening for me, and it was made even more so the next day. For during the afternoon of the very next day, Teresa and I were out for a walk. I would call it a hike, but it wasn't quite that strenuous. And the very next day, a, a rainbow appeared in the sky. Now, I was a science major in college, so I, I know how rainbows occur, that there's droplets of water in the, in the sky and the sun shines through them producing this prism effect but it was to me as if God's promise was as clear and potent as God's promise in the rainbow following the flood in the time of Noah and I perceived the the, the promise not to be a guarantee that I would live to a ripe old age none of us are guaranteed that rather rather what I saw in that rainbow was God promising I've got your back. I've got your back. And it was an uplifting, reassuring, comforting experience. No matter what, God's got your back. In the promise of God, Abram encounters the promise maker. And Abram has to decide whether the promise maker is trustworthy. And Abram chooses to believe 
in the promise, allowing God to be God. And such is the stuff of faith. God and Abram share an ancient, ancient ritual, primal, earthy, wherein the sealing of the covenant occurs by the having of a heifer, a she-goat and a ram, with a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passing between the pieces. A covenant is like an oath. Once made, it is never to be broken. And in making this covenant, God binds himself to his promise. For to break it would mean that the promise maker is a liar. And the broken animal symbolize what should happen to the parties of the covenant should one of them break that covenant. Ironic, isn't it, that even though it was the people of Israel who violated the covenant by disobeying God time and again, it was God who, in the per person of Jesus Christ, was broken. It was God who, in the person of Jesus Christ, had his garments divided and sold. Such is grace. God even held up our end of the bargain for us. We couldn't keep the covenant, so God kept it for us. And therein is the promise. No proof. No guarantee. Simply a promise. Look around you. What is the reality of your world? Can you and I, like Abram, see beyond our immediate situation and allow God to be God? In spite of the world, can you believe the promise? Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. Such, my friends, is faith. May we each be granted that gift. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for your promise. May we embrace that promise, allowing you to be you. We are thankful for the gift of Jesus Christ that even when we fall, even when we fail, your promise through him is secure now and always. Amen.